This is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, your host of Diversity Bites, the program for everybody who understands the challenges inherent in creating a more diverse workforce. Join us as we explore the strategies and mindsets needed to transcend statistics, increase belonging, and unlock higher performance. Welcome to The Truth Hurts, a bonus episode of Diversity Bites, the only daily diversity podcast designed to help you transcend statistics, increase belonging, and unlock higher performance. I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. Today, we have an exciting guest. Sharon Hurley-Hall is an anti-racism activist, educator, and in-demand speaker. Firmly committed to doing her part to eliminate racism, she is the founder and curator-in-chief of Sharon's Anti-Racism Newsletter. Sharon is also a co-founder of Diverse Leaders Group and the author of I'm Tired of Racism and Exploring Shadism. Welcome, Sharon, to the show. Thank you, Joe. I'm delighted to be here. And I just have to say, I, I haven't had a chance to read Exploring Shadism, but um, as part of my prep, I was able to read I'm Tired of Racism and I'm really excited to explore, maybe from your direct word, some of the perspectives that I heard in there. I learned a ton um, and even stuff that I thought I knew, I, I learned different aspects of it from you. So super excited to have the conversation with you. Oh, me too. Me too. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's kick off um, by exploring just at a general kind of level. People come to this work differently, right? Everyone has their own path. And I think that's beautiful. Um, what makes you personally passionate about promoting diversity? It's really interesting because I I came to this work, as many people did, uh, after the murder of George Floyd. Now, it wasn't the first time that I had talked about racism. And, you know, as a black woman, I've experienced racism throughout my life in multiple countries. But it was the point at which I said, okay, just sitting here and not saying anything isn't getting us anywhere. It's time for people like me to speak out. And that led into a number of shifts for me one of which was changing my then freelance writing career from writing about digital marketing to actively pursuing commissions talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because the way I saw it, I had the gift of writing and you know it was my responsibility to use it to make things better. Yeah. And um, I know from the book that um, you weren't just starting out in that area. You were already firmly established, uh, experienced, and sought after in the area that you were writing in. So um, not without um, risk or uh, sort of, it's a weighty decision to shift, let's just say mid-career, right? I, I don't know how long your career will be, but I'll say mid-career um, to shift into something that's quite different than what you did before. How tell, tell us a little bit about how that process went for you. What I started doing was, uh, you know, as a long-term freelancer, I had clients ready. Yeah. So I, I put it out there. I put it out there and I started getting commissions for this other kind of work, right? So I think November 2020, I said, I want to be writing in this area. And lo and behold, somebody hired me to do a retrospective on the year and what had happened. So that was my first commission. 
at the same time, um, a magazine was starting, an online magazine devoted to DEI. And so that brought some other work. And, you know, through all this time, I was posting about racism, diversity, and all those topics on LinkedIn. So even though, and, and I, had, I had started my newsletter and I was writing about the same topics. So I, because of my experience as a writer, I think I was able to ramp up in terms of content in this area really quickly. And so when people were looking to hire someone to do their work, there was stuff that they could see. So what happened is, you know, there's always natural attrition, right, with clients. As people fell off, I replaced them with the AI people. So where I am today is I believe I have two clients that I've been with for a long time. And everybody else that comes up from time to time is someone that wants me to do the AI writing. Although, again, I'm doing less writing now for other people than I was even two years ago. What, what I find very interesting is how this all flew from your own mental shift to decide this is what Sharon Hurley Hall is about going Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. I, I, there always comes a point in your life when, you know, well, at least I hope it comes for everyone, where you figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And quite often, you know, we start, you know, we, we do what we have to do. We get a job, we, you know, we go to college, we start working in a job. And, you know, we can do all of that without ever having figured out what our purpose is, if you know what I mean. And so it was as if I had an epiphany. And, and that actually started even before making that decision. I wrote immediately after George Floyd was murdered, I wrote an essay called I'm Tired of Racism, which was just, you know, decades of experiences of racism just put out onto the page mm. and and I got a response and people were talking about it and I had other things to say so I kept writing and so and then in the process of doing that I realized that it felt right and yeah. so I kept going amazing amazing it's it's interesting we we can never quite predict what the catalyst will be in our life, right? What what event, something happening, something not happening, a door opening or closing that can really change uh, the, the, the course of our life. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, the crux of this show is, is to talk about truthful things that may not be popular or may not be easy to accept about ourselves and the others, hence the title, The Truth Hurts. And, and you're, I'm so excited to have you as our inaugural guest because your book and your article and your work is exactly in that theme. It does not shy away from the truths that need to be written out loud and spoken out loud. So um, let me start with sort of our main question I ask all our guests is, what do most people get wrong about how racism works? A lot of people think of racism as nasty words and slurs, and they don't necessarily see beyond that surface level. And they don't, what they get wrong is that it's a whole system that has been built, a whole structure that has been constructed over centuries to make one group of people have a better position in society and other groups of people not have that position and not have the same benefits and not have the same advantage. Um, a diverse leaders group, we often talk about deliberately disadvantaged people. 
In other words, to get across that idea that this was not accidental. This was not accidental. At every stage, decisions were made that privileged whiteness and disadvantaged anything that was not deemed to fit into that bastion of whiteness. And so that is what I think a lot of people get wrong and have to learn and unlearn sometimes. Sometimes they have to unlearn the fact that, you know, it's not about calling someone, it's not just about using a racial slur. It's about othering people in lots of different ways. It's about making them feel that they don't belong. It's about ensuring or contributing to them having a harder experience in the workplace, in life, when eating out, when shopping, in every aspect of their lives. And the effect of that is cumulative and, and, and traumatic. You know, it's it's like paper cuts. But you know, if you get if you know, if you get thousands and thousands of cuts, you can bleed out, right? Yeah. And so that's what I think people get wrong. So what's interesting to me about what you're sharing is underneath sort of the racial aspects and the othering, there's a power dynamic, right? There, there's a holding on and keeping for us, however you define us, and everyone else, they get leftovers or they get second kind of level. So, so talk to us a little bit more about how that sort of comes into play, because I feel like people when they hear the specific scenarios, it, it it resonates more, right? Versus like, okay, there's this thing called racism or we need diversity. Sometimes yeah. it's hard for people in the abstract. I, I and, and, and yes, thank you for bringing that up because the, the power, the power dynamic is, is the thing that really, you know, that really makes it bite in a sense. It's the, the fact that, oh, let's see. That, you know, you can be presumed not 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 to belong in many, many ways. So, for example, I was born in England. I have a British passport. I'm flying back into the country. White immigration officer stops me and says, uh, so, you know, where are you from? I say, well, I'm from here. <laughs> he said, but where are you really from? I said, well, um, I, I mentioned the town that I was living in. Right. And then he says, but where were you born? As if that was going to settle the argument. I said I was born in London, which I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's, there was that, that deliberate attempt to make me feel that I did not belong. And I know that is a question that a lot of us could relate to that, that, that othering through that question, where are you from? Yeah. And sometimes it's disguised as something that appears to be positive, mm -hmm. but the underlying assumption is negative. So, for example, people will say, oh, you're so articulate with a slight tone of surprise, right? Uh, because, you know, the, the underlying assumption is black people aren't particularly articul articulate. So you're an anomaly, you know, when, you know, everybody in my family is articulate, <laughs> honestly, you know, and English is our, our first language. And, you know, so there are all of those little things. One for the workplace that people will relate to. Mm -hmm. is you know you walk into you walk into a room with a bunch of white colleagues and you're the one that's asked to make the tea or take the notes or you know nobody expects you to be the one presenting right so those are some those are some examples those way 
the structure goes in hand in hand with expectations and assumptions because the structure is, especially in white majority countries, that there are more white people in positions of authority. And somehow they are presumed to be there as of right and to deserve that position. And other people are not presumed to benefit from that authority to have the right to that position. So, you know, it's power and structure together. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the topic of meritocracy, right? Mm. And how can meritocracy truly exist when you don't aren't starting from the same place? And it's not just where you start from. It's as you're playing the game. <laughs> calls are being made. Again, I'm not a big sports guy, but like a yeah. sports analogy seems appropriate here. Like calls are being made against you all the time and and the last thing i'll say and i would love to hear to get your um hear your perspectives on it is the people crying out for meritocracy happen to be the one getting all the calls and benefiting yes. from the beginning so now i'm just like well i'm yeah. not so sure about this meritocracy concept <laughs> from what we're so we'd love to get your perspective well truth to tell if it were really a meritocracy some of these people would not have their positions that's but right. that's a whole, you know, that's a whole other issue. But yes, if you think about it, uh, people who are in deliberately disadvantaged groups, right? If you're looking at the U.S. context, particularly, um, but not only the U.S. context, you know, they might have had a different school experience in terms of whether their school got funding and had resources and had plenty of extracurriculars. They might have found it difficult to go into the college of their choice, or they might have had to work while they were studying. They might not get considered for certain internships, right? They might, you know, when then when, you know, people are hiring, if they have a name that is not presumed to be Anglo, then they might not even make it through the door. Although a, 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 side, a side note to that is, you know, I interviewed, I mean, my name is Sharon Hurley Hall. Nobody can tell. Back in the days before <laughs> we had social media, nobody could tell. So I would send in my CV. I would get to the interview stage and then people would do that when they saw me walk through. You know, they do that double take. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it kind of works for both ways. So, yeah, there's definitely. There's definitely a feeling for some that, you know, the idea of meritocracy is biased against uh people of the global majority because of the number of obstacles that many of us have to go through in order to get on the field let alone have it be level because i don't know that it ever is level altogether you know and you know sometimes that's why that's why we need equity you know before we get to equality we need equity we need to we need to redress some of those balances right yeah you know, I, I, I can, I've been looking for this, I can't find it, but I remember reading or hearing when I was in law school, someone saying how, you know, they were trying to use data, right? And say, you know, um, African-Americans who get into um, top level law schools in the US don't do as well, right? Mm -hmm. So the argument was, it's better for them to go to second tier law schools, because they'll do better that way, right? And it, you know, at the time, I wasn't thinking about it like perhaps as deeply as I do now and certainly not as deeply as, as you do, Sharon. 
but just thinking that is just such a cherry picking of statistic <laughs> and avoids reality like everything else that has to do with that situation there's no context yeah there's no context why is it why is it that these stats exist what is their actual experience being there mm -hmm. you know are they in a class where someone takes against them and marks them down just because of the color of their skin because i know people that has happened to oh yeah right uh, you know, are they in a situation where they're not getting extended the same kind of grace if they happen to turn in something late as people who don't look like them? You know, are they having to do another job so there are certain things they can't do? They can't go and schmooze with the, the professor. You know, mm -hmm. I think you have to look at all those other situations before you just cherry pick a number. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because it, it's really... It's insidious, you know, white supremacy is woven into the fabric of many of our societies, um, in the US for sure, in the former colonial countries, you know, I'm in Barbados and, you know, the plantocracy is still here, <laughs> right? The descendants of the plantocracy are still here, you know, in some of the countries that invented the system in the first place, like the UK. I mean, it really is, it's pervasive and, you know, it's very hard to dismantle a system that has got into people's psyche in, you know, there has to be a will to change and you have to change the systems and you have to be willing to dismantle the systems and to do something differently, which is, you know, one of the things we're attempting to do at the Diverse Leaders Group is to show how you can build equality into a company and mm, not that. operate out of the same old paradigms and you know we're building the ship as we sail but you know so far so good <laughs> you know it's it's interesting you you mentioned you know colonialism and former colonialism um you know because i work in a global organization um sometimes i'll have coworkers who could be based in africa right you know um and i remember talking to one of them and you know, she's sort of mid-level in her career. So she's at that part of her career where she has to start to assert more and, you know, bring executive presence and, and you know, in order to ascend to the higher level, right? The technical piece isn't enough anymore mm -hmm. for her to go up. And I remember her saying to me, and, and I was a little bit surprised because I don't have to think about this myself, but she said to me, you know, Joe, you can't underestimate the impact of colonialism on my confidence and the culture that still exists today. As a black woman in a room full of mostly white people, I'm told to have executive presence and speak up, right? She's like, yeah. it's very different for me than it might be for you or for someone else. And those scars and, and that culture and that attitude is not something that just has disappeared. No, no, because of course, for generations previous, you know, we weren't supposed to be seen to have thoughts and and also for women you know there's a there's a thing where if you're too assertive too mm -hmm. assertive as they say then you know you're angry or you're whatever it happens to be you know there are mm -hmm. a whole set of negative stereotypes that go go along with being assertive and confident as a black woman and so it's a very fine line to have to walk and even when you think you're walking it, you have no control over what perception people have and how they're talking about you when you're not in the room. 
Yeah. You know, I love that point. And I kind of think about it in terms of energy, right? Like we all, no matter, let's say we're all equally smart and hardworking, right? But we have to apportion our energy in certain ways. And if one group of people or person doesn't have to worry about that, sorry, excuse the French BS, mm -hmm. and a whole nother group has to worry about that all the time, like nonstop 24 seven and fending off microaggressions or slights or whatever you want to call it. It's like your energy is being drained away from excelling at work. And it is negatively impacting the company because this is energy that you could spend knocking things out of the park for your employer. That is true. And even excelling can count against you um, because people, because people who are not as excellent yeah. will feel threatened and will try to undermine you again. I know of several cases where this has happened. It's not just, you know, it's not pie in the sky. This, this actually happens because as people who are deliberately disadvantaged, we often have to work twice and three times as hard. And, you know, we have to get extra qualifications. We have to do whatever it is to being in order to be perceived as level. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're having a conversation and it happens to come out that, you know, I don't know, you know, you've done an extra certificate or you've got a master's or you know you've got an MBA or a PhD or whatever it is then there are people that immediately feel threatened because they have not done that and it messes with their idea of what you should be as a black person as a person of color as a deliberately disadvantaged person you know Many people, whether they admit it or not, expect the superiority of whiteness to always be a factor. And there's severe cognitive dissonance whenever that idea is messed with for many people. Yeah, it, it I imagine, challenges their ego. It challenges their worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, and the thing that's so insidious about it is they may not even on a conscious level understand the emotions that are bubbling up and why because it, it's it's institutionalized it's cultural it's like we breathe it right like i don't think about the air i'm breathing when there's no air or it's cold i just notice yes. it and when it's hot i notice it but normally i'm just breathing yes as as uh, guante said racism isn't the shark it's the water mm. right we're all in it all the time and we we take in a lot of ideas about who we are and what we are and what our position is or should be. And so I think all of us have a lot of unlearning to do in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was talking um, uh, a few years ago to a colleague of mine who's a Black educator. And uh, he said to me, he said, Joe, you know, he had gotten to the point in his career where he was pretty well insulated and he had a lot of leadership support, so he didn't have to worry. But he said, Joe, believe me, until I got to that point, I had to watch my back because there were so many people, so many people just waiting for him to step out of line. And you know how many um, mistakes he could probably make? None. 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 Right. Someone would have been very happy to serve him up and say, look, this is why this is a bad guy. Get rid yeah. of him, right? And this is why we should never hire anybody else like this ever again. Yeah. 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 So to me, that's another sort of uh, uh, anxiety. It's a stressor. It's an inequity. 
that, you know, um, however you describe it, you know, um, underrepresented, underrepresented professionals, you know, BIPOC, you know, I'm not going to quibble on the term, um, but people who, who don't have the advantage of others feel that pressure of not being able to make a mistake because they know, they know intuitively. And like you said, you've seen this happen to people. They know yeah. you will not have the same grace afforded yeah. to others. Exactly, exactly. You you can't afford to mess up. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of pressure mm -hmm. that you deal with every day. You know, you can't mess up. You have to be twice as good. You're dealing with whatever's happening out in the world. You're dealing with the, the microaggressions and other racism. You know, there's a there's a lot to cope with. And you have to do it all without ever showing the correct reaction to this kind of thing, which is, you know, anger <laughs> and upset. But if you show that, that counts against you too. Yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting to me is it doesn't get any easier with level. You could be the CEO you and could. get angry and it'll be counted against you. You could, you could. I think it happens to people at all levels of companies. You know, if you are, if you're on a, you know, if you're one person on a mostly white leadership team, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to face it at some point, you yeah. know? The, the the experience of being the only is 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 very lonely, yeah. and it's a, an experience many people have. Yeah, you know, one thing I learned from um, your book that I uh, would love to hear you explore a little bit more is this concept of low expectations and <laughs> how that really impacts your ability to perform to your highest because there's low expectations of you. It's um I suspect that I, I I raised that I raised that in two contexts. Okay. One of the contexts was in terms of why uh, my husband and I returned to the Caribbean with our daughter because educationally, in some schools, you know, black and brown children can be seen as a problem before mm -hmm. they've even done anything. Yeah. And, you know, and that affects how they're treated and their entire school career. And so there's an expectation sometimes of underachievement, right? Whereas, you know, for all its problems, you know, in Barbados, the black majority country, still with the plantocracy, still with problems. But, you know, the expectation is that people who look like me can and do excel. Right. Because, you know, there are, you know, there's the prime minister, there are accountants, lawyers, doctors, whatever, people from all the professions, people starting businesses, etc. And so then in the in the workplace, of course, there's this, you know, you, you, you'll be having a conversation with members of your team and then it will turn out that, you know, you visited a place or you've done a particular qualification and it, you, you realize that they had looked at you as someone that was likely to be less qualified just on the basis of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And that messes with your head because, you know, it's like, even if you know you are, the fact that other people have such low expectations, you know, hurts. Mm -hmm. And and then obviously it affects your experience while you're there as well. You know, it... um because more than one person can have these low expectations, it can affect the opportunities that you're offered. You know, are you going to be able to be involved in that big project? Are you going to be able to, you know, ask to attend a particular meeting? 
or to hang out with particular people that might do your career some good. If people have low expectations just by looking at you, there are opportunities you might miss out on and not even know about it. Yeah, Sharon, you've just brought up what I believe is a huge blind spot in corporate America, right? If, if you look at transparency reports of any major organization, right? You you start out with however you start out, you know, white, Hispanic, Asian, Latino, yeah. black, right? You start. And then as you move to the higher levels, it just gets more white and more male, right? Mm -hmm. and, and typically like, you know, Asians and then blacks and or blacks or Latinos, you know, depending on the area, you know, will be more towards the bottom. And if you are a black female lesbian, then good luck. Right. I mean, really good luck in the organization, in most organizations, let me just say. Um, so what's interesting to me is there's this huge blind spot where um, organizations are like, how do we help these people excel? Because they're like, this is not good because we don't have enough people at the higher levels. Right. And the lens is, you know, why aren't these people, you know, excelling in our organization and i feel like no one's even considering because no one expects them to excel they're not getting mentored they're not getting sponsored because the managers don't expect it yes it's 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 one of those weird situations where you're both hyper visible and invisible mm. right you're hyper visible if there's a problem and you're invisible when there's something that might help you move forward and so I think a lot of corporations need to look at the structures that they have in place and how those structures either support or deny the advancement of people from, from deliberately disadvantaged groups. You know, I, as, as you say, Joe, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that at all. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of your, your, your courageous decision to relocate to Barbados, because you and your husband identified that systemically in the US that like, it's going to be a problem for your kids just because of the color of their skin. And I feel like in organizations as well, you can have the same problem. It's, it's systemic. So there's no amount of training you can offer a, a deliberately disadvantaged person that's going to magically change how everyone else around them expects them to do, treats them they are not the ones that need the training, <laughs> right? Awesome. The training needs to happen to the other people that need to learn to see them and treat them equally and equitably, make opportunities available, mentor them, push for them to get advancement in the same way that they do for white colleagues. Those are the people that need the training. So let's dig into this point a little bit, Sharon. I, I love this point that you're bringing up. I don't think training is going to help. <laughs> training is not enough, right? Let, let's no. talk a little bit about what really needs to change for there to be a movement towards equity, because I feel training may help 2%, 3%, but it is not going to move the needle on what really needs to happen. Talk to us a little bit about that. There are a number of things that need to happen. Training is one part of it consistent work on these issues month mm. in month out on an individual level will feed into how leadership decisions get made right uh i, I yeah i mean one of the things that the you know that we are making available is 
one uh, a qualification that says, okay, here is what, here are some of the things that you may not even have realized that deliberately disadvantaged groups are going through. Mm -hmm. Here's how you could do that differently within your office. And here is a place where you can come and bring those situations and get feedback on how to handle them, on how to make things more equitable, on where your blind spots might be. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've been doing for the last couple of years is facilitating and co-facilitating um, allies groups. Oh, and right. one of the things, you know, my focus is always on taking action, mm -hmm. you know, beyond reading and learning, beyond a one-off training course, how are you actually implementing what you are learning? How are you using it to make a difference to people day to day? How are you using it to change your thought processes day to day? And so I think it is ongoing work. It is a commitment. It is a commitment to, to be anti-racist. It is an, a, a commitment to equity and a commitment to equality. And that is what needed. And you have to work on it all the way through. And you have to, you know, a lot of people like, you know, they'll, they'll tick boxes and say, oh, yes, we've met our diversity quota. But what are the what experiences are those people having when they get into your into your corporation? How yeah. are you making sure that they are treated equally? or equitably, which might mean, you know, a little extra leg up. How do you, how are you making sure that all of your colleagues are enjoying the benefits of this diversity? How are you making sure, because, because one of the things that's proved to, 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 to shift things is getting to know people and seeing them as people. And, mm -hmm. you know, all the training in the world, if you know, if, if you, as you say, you know, if you just, you know, train a bunch of white guys, and then they go back to the office and say, okay, we've done the training now, but nothing changes. How have mm -hmm. we moved forward? But if, on the other hand, you're saying, okay, I've done the training. We're going to change our recruitment practices. We're going to look at the whole thing from the ground up. What kind of experience we're giving people. We're going to explicitly make mentoring available. And we're going to be working on our stuff in relation to racism and discrimination month in, month out then I think you stand the chance of changing things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, along the lines of that, Sharon, you know, one thing I find very interesting is, you know, companies state that, you know, equity and diversity is a value. Mm -hmm. However, it's interesting to me that very few companies, I'm not saying none do this, but I'd be surprised at the number that do, actually factor that into your performance, your rating, your raise, your bonus, right? So as long as you're hitting your business numbers, and in most companies, I would say diversity, equity is optional. And mm -hmm. to me, optional means those managers are an anchor, right? It's, it's not just neutral. They're an anchor. They are holding <laughs> things back versus managers who go out of their way to do it and it's more difficult and it's more challenging and it's long-term. So maybe short-term, their numbers don't look as good. Why? Okay. Because they're doing all this extra work to ensure the long-term benefit for the company. But if the company doesn't recognize that and rewards quarter to quarter, what behavior do you think most people are going to revert to? If it's not made important to the, to the leadership and the management, then it doesn't happen. And, you know, yes, a part of that is measurement, but you also have to think about what are you measuring? 
It's mm-hmm. not just to get about getting people through the door. It's about, I repeat, it's about their experience, what's happening to them. You know, are you also measuring how many people are getting mentored, how many people are getting promoted, how many people are leaving because they've had an awful experience of racism? You know, are you measuring all of that as well? You know, you want to see racism reporting coming down and people being mentored and promoted going up so that the the demographics of your management and leadership and board looks completely different in a few years from the way it looks today. And if you're not shooting for that, then, then what are you even doing? And here's a wacky idea. What if you um, surveyed employees who are coming in to give feedback on how included they feel by managers? And that actually becomes an issue for those managers. And if you get a bad rating and people are saying like, hey, you know, I feel very uncomfortable around this person or I don't feel like I'm getting a fair shake, that becomes your problem. Right. So now you got to decide, are you going to sort that out or are you going to leave the company and go somewhere where they don't care about that anymore? But until that happens, you don't have a problem. You can do whatever you want. You can say whatever and smile and take the training and then give all the best opportunities to people who are like you or have a similar background and ignore everyone else. And there is no accountability. Accountability is key. Accountability is key. And. One of the things I'm sure about is that more and more people are going to be talking about this. There's a site founded by Netta Jenkins called Dipper, mm-hmm. which where, you know, um, employees of color can report on their experiences at different companies. Ooh, I love that. Right. So, you know, as that grows and people start reporting, it's, it's not just going to be about what's on Glassdoor. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, what is it like for me as a black woman? coming into this company and I think that more of that reporting and also you know then that becomes something that the leadership has to take into account that the management has to take into account and yes tying it into you know how are these these um, managers and leaders being assessed right how you know how can you be terrible at diversity and have people reporting racism and still be getting your bonus how could that happen (laughs) you know (laughs) make it make sense yeah absolutely you know one thing that I've um been thinking about uh, I don't know if this actually exists but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it does is because of the challenge for um deliberately disadvantaged professionals to sometimes be promoted within their organization. I think what can happen is, especially since there um, is a more desire to have more diverse candidates and, and people, the path for a lot of people, and I'm not saying this is a good or bad path, I'm saying this is what ends up happening, is you don't stay in the same organization long if you want to move up. Every next level, you cannot get it easily at your organization. You are forced to get it at another organization that wants you not just from your skills, but because you check a box, right? And that doesn't feel great, right? And then you get there, but guess what? You got the same problem. Now you're just at a higher level. So now you got to go to another organization. So you end up with this career, which it's neither good nor bad, right? People, Some people like to stay, some people like to go. But I feel like it's being forced by a dynamic rather than a conscious decision that like, I'd rather stay or I'd rather move around in my career. If people are not having a good experience, if people feel stuck, mm-hmm. then they're not going to stay. 
Mm -hmm. And so that in itself is is something to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, if people, if you're measuring what's happening with the diversity, equity and inclusion, and you notice that your global majority employees all leave after a couple of years, yeah. clearly there's a problem, <laughs> you know, clearly there's a problem, you know, the, you know, they're, they're not sticking around. If, and, you know, if your white employees are there for 10, 12 years and your yeah. global majority employees are only sticking around for two, yeah. you need to start looking at that. Yeah. You know, you need to look, start looking at what's happening. Are they getting opportunities? Are they getting mentored? Are they getting seen? Are they getting promoted? And are they getting heard when they bring something to the table? You know, and then on the other side, are they getting, are they experiencing microaggressions or racism? Are they being othered, right? So you have to look at the whole picture, I think. What's interesting to me is sometimes people who are well-intended and in the position to, to look at these things that you're talking about often have enormous gaping blind spots. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, you know, a, a colleague of mine was on some sort of committee where they look at um, diversity and bringing people into their profession. And he was on a committee and it's it's cross state. And he was talking to some coworkers who were out in the Midwest. I don't remember the exact state. And they were saying to him, you know, it's so difficult for us to get the best talent, right, to come, you know, let's say they, they were on the East Coast, West Coast, wherever, to come here and settle and take this job here. And we don't understand why, you know, we have our values, we have our messaging, and, and we, you know, we, we, we try to, you know, give them an incentive to come. And he asked them the most interesting question. He said, I'm Black right? I'm African-American, he said. How far would I have to go to find someone from my house who can cut my hair? And everyone was like, what? What do you mean? And he said, <laughs> how far would I have to travel to find someone who knows how to cut black hair? Mm-hmm. Wow. And they hadn't even considered that, right? I mean, I, the specific thing is not, yeah. you know, obviously not, not yeah. the thing, but it's the principle, right? Yeah, yeah. All of that affects your experience, you know? And, you know, you can have, you can have principles and you can have values, but, you know, when I look at your team page, and I don't see someone that looks like me. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when I reach out to someone who's just left your company and they say, well, you know, I was there for two years, but there was no opportunity to move up. And, you know, this person was horrible to me and I reported it and nobody did anything about it, then, you know, then then there's a problem that that needs to be addressed. And while I know that, you know, you have to start somewhere, you know, if you you know, if you've got an all white team, your team page is going to look all white till you get some some global majority people on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, being upfront about that when you're hiring people can also be helpful, mm. you know. But, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who look like me are wary of being the only. And, you know, they say, OK, so why aren't there, you know, we're in 2022, right? Why aren't there more people that look like me on right. your team page? Right. And, you know, and, 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 and just a note to say, using stock photos, we know about that trick, too. 
stock photo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, there was one thing that you wrote about in your book that that I would love to hear more about. Um, that that was fascinating to me, as well as you know, maybe very angry and upset. And that's the concept of market value and perception of your worth before they realize you're a black woman. And after, talk to us a little bit about your experiences there, because it just it it blew my mind, Sharon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember this quite clearly. I was I was freelancing, and I had I had uh, I had sent someone a quote, and then they must have seen my photo on Twitter, and then they wanted to offer me less, and they wanted to know, you know, how, where did I get off charging what I was charging. Now, bear in mind, at this point, I was already a very experienced writer. Sure. You know, and, and so there's definitely, you know, there, there, there's definitely a risk sometimes. You know, you show your face and people will have a certain perception of you. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to decide, okay, am I going to go with this? Am I going to know my worth and stand up for what I believe is right? Or do I need to pay bills this month? And so do I need to just swallow it? And so that is, an, that is a, something everyone has to answer for themselves. Uh, I choose wherever possible not to let anybody undervalue me. Mm -hmm. But I know that, you know, when I first started freelancing and I needed every job that came in, I took the jobs that came in, but I traded them out as fast as I possibly could. Because, yeah. yes, there are people that, and, 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 you know, I'm not the only one this has happened to. You right. know, you, you it's almost a vicious cycle because typically black people get paid less or offered less. Yes. Right. And so they go to a new job and they, they, you know, they add five grand onto what they were earning before. And they're probably still 15 grand under what their white counterpart is getting. Yeah. And, you know, some companies will see that as a chance to get somebody good cheap. And right. some companies will say, no, you're, you know, this is what it's offered. You're undervaluing yourself and, and, and give the information. And, you know, that is, that's an equity action that anyone can take. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, share the numbers, Yeah. share the numbers, right. right. So that we don't get underpaid. How about we look at, at that data, right. Yeah. Even, yeah. even if it's just um, HR and comp professionals. Mm -hmm. Right. Doing an analysis to see inequity and and sort of gross deviation in terms of pay for similarly scaled jobs. Right. There's always going to be some. There'll be some. Know, but how big is it? And, who, exactly. and, you know, which group of people is disproportionately affected? Consistently. 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 And, you know, mm -hmm. we already know. Sharon, maybe the data is telling us something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it is. I mean, there's a there's a there's a reason why you know equal pay day for different groups comes so so late in the year for you know, you know so you know anywhere from August to October, depending on which demographic you're in. Right? Yeah, and and you know this is not without precedent. I mean, you know, it, within recent memory, there's there's been a very big push for sort of female pay equity, both in sports as well as organizations. Mm -hmm. And there have been strides. There has been progress made. So this is not some impossible no. ask or something that's going to bankrupt organizations to pay all their people fairly. 
No, I think it's something that every company should do, right? And, you know, if you're thinking about the budget, well, you know, get rid of some of the me mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> get rid of some of the, 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 the people that look just like, just like everybody else, right? Let's, let's talk about mediocrity, mediocrity for a <laughs> second, okay? Because I've been playing around with this idea. I call it the, the mediocrity manifesto, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be just as mediocre and lazy as other people in my organization and move just as high and be punished just as little. That to me is equity. <laughs> well, that would be equality. But yeah, you know, equality, it exactly. would, it would, it would, it really, it really would. But we all know that we're not living in that world, Joe. No, no. And, <laughs> and, and, and everyone knows, right? people in an organization who everyone is just like, why do they still have their job? Yeah. Why are they allowed to exist and collect a paycheck yeah. in that organization? You know, there are people that are working their backsides off. And then there's people that are coming in and spending the first two hours checking their Facebook, they're taking an extended lunch, and they're leaving early. Right? And those people, the ones who are leaving early are probably getting 10 grand more. <laughs> Than the people that are doing all the work, right? And and, and, and now I'm being cheeky. I wonder what their uh, opinion is on meritocracy. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. You know, I I I think that's a system that is something that we have to fix, and that is that is one of the systems mm -hmm. that underpins racism. That is yeah. one of the one example of systemic racism, right? The idea that. You know, all the these ideas about meritocracy and professionalism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, all of those presuppose that you start in a certain place with certain advantages. Yeah. And that is just not the case. It's yeah. not reality. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. You, you bring up things like um, professionalism, appearance, even things like etiquette. Right. Mm -hmm. These are mm -hmm. these are learned standards and codes mm -hmm. that are more likely to be inculcated by the parents of one group than another. I what I what what I will say here is that black people understand whiteness more than whiteness understands black people <laughs> because it's a question of safety. Yeah. Right. Global majority. In fact, you have to understand the system that is oppressing you. Yeah. You have to understand the system that's disadvantaging you. It's a survival mechanism. It is a survival mechanism. So, so yeah, some people code switch and, you know, they, they, they fix their hair. They hold themselves in a certain way. You know, they don't, they're not their full selves. And even with all of that, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to get the same kind of recognition and promotion and opportunities that, that, that white folks get. Yeah. Just it doesn't happen. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, I am really enjoying this conversation. I do um, definitely like to leave people who are engaged with some practical next steps. So if I could ask you, what is one, a single simple action that anyone can do today to better fight racism? Open your eyes. To what's going on around you and interrupt the microaggressions that you see and the racist jokes, right? 
you can go mm -hmm. into that conversation. You can simply ask a question, what did you mean by that? Right? You can do that. Right? And, and you know, within a company, you know, a bonus <laughs> within a company, start looking at, at, at pay promotions and retention mm -hmm. and see whether there are differences. And it's really important here. Don't just compare white employees with BIPOC. Disaggregate mm -hmm. the BIPOC and see if different groups are having different experiences. Yes. D disaggregate the other disadvantage. You know, are your LGBTQ plus people having different experiences? Disaggregate the data so that you can better see what kind of experiences people are really having. I think that is so smart, right? Because if you have, let's say, a group like white women who is getting comparatively, relatively doing quite well, that can pull up the numbers mm -hmm. for everyone else. Yes, because, you know, quite often white women count as diversity. Yep. Make that make sense. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy, I love it. I love it. Well, Sharon, this has been informative, uh, entertaining for me, hopefully for our audience as well. And I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Um, how can people get in touch to learn more about you, your organization, and the work, the important work that you do? Ah, thanks, Joe. I very much enjoyed it. So you can connect with me via my newsletter, antiracismnewsletter.com, at Diverse Leaders Group, diverseleadersgroup.com, uh, on my website, SharonHH.com, and on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, I'm SharonHH on LinkedIn. That's where I tend to be most active. And yeah, I'm always open to conversations about, about this topic. So and thank you so much, Joe, and thank you everyone for listening. And I just have to put in a plug for your book, I'm Tired of Racism. <laughs> really great. Don't ask your Black coworker to explain racism. There's plenty of great books, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontent, Excellent. your book. Um, there's a great book by um, some future guests of mine, um, Sarah Rao and Regina Jackson, on you know white women and racism, um, there is so much information out there that you can educate yourself. Don't ask someone to teach you because they're dealing with all these other issues that Sharon and I were talking about. Absolutely. Great. Well, I'd like to thank Sharon Hurley Hall for being our guest on The Truth Hurts, a bonus episode of Diversity Bites. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, please consider leaving a tip on ko-fi.com. It's ko-fi.com slash Connection Counselor, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. This is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and until the next time, remember, the truth only hurts when you can't let go of the lie.